coming to you live from Cole Creative in downtown Wilkes-Barre. I'm Rich Howells. I'm the founder and editor of NEPA Scene. And that is a horrible <laughs> sound. <laughs> really? Wednesday at 7, they want to vacuum up here? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Brittany, you go. Uh, hi, Brittany Boot, uh, owner of Boot Photography Studio. Couldn't have planned that better. <laughs> it's like, you're live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm John Popco. I work for Time Shamrock Communications uh, and Radio for Rock 107, ESPN, and Alt 92.1. And I'm also the Saturday night host of Alt Natives on Alt 92.1 at 9 p.m., where I play an hour of the uh, area's best local music. And we're here with Jeff Bohm, who is an award-winning playwright, filmmaker, and uh, movie commentator for WBRE and WNEP. And uh, we're going to talk about his new play, uh, which is Man on a Canvas, uh, which is at the Old Brick Theater in Scranton coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, the writing process, uh, creating characters and stories, uh, how to get your work produced, uh, independent filmmaking, uh, reviewing movies, and all that good stuff. So uh, if you're interested in any of those topics or you want to get any insight in any of those topics, uh, leave your questions and comments down in the uh, comment section there. And we'll definitely get to those uh, at some point in the show. Uh, so uh, please participate. Uh, la last couple shows, people have been a little lazy. You've been tuning in, but you haven't been saying anything. So let us know what you, you want, to, want us to talk about. You, you know? can make fun of Brittany. She's got her uh, leggings on inside out. Put <laughs> my pants on inside out today. Just wanted to let you guys know I got that in there that. pretty quick. There it yeah. Is. yeah. There it is. I went to change them at my studio, and then there was window washers in the window. <laughs> So I didn't take my pants off. I thought about flashing them, but then I thought again. That's probably a good call. The old boot wouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's old true. boot. That would have been old boot. Oh. The sad thing is the building people don't actually employ window washers, so it was, it was an extra awkward. They just moment. seem to be washing my window all day, <laughs> waiting for me to take my pants off. It happens. So that's where we're at. So it's that kind of day. It is that kind of day. I got a lot. It was a productive day. Yeah. It's like that SNL skit with Christopher Walken when he's like, I put my pants on one at a time, <laughs> except when my pants are on, I make old records. Is that your Christopher Walken impression? No, I can do a better one, oh, okay. but it's, we're going to... Uh, we'll the cowbell just... one? Yeah. Whoa. Oh. Whoa. What are you doing? You got it. Oh. Hey. You do it again. Stab in the face with a siding iron. Oh. At a time. Like the sew? All right, enough of that. That's pretty good. <laughs> you can't have a talk show without one Christopher Walken impersonation. Yeah, that's true. Per, per quarter. Right. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's a reasonable Mine wasn't percentage. an impersonation. Mine was just read. Right. I have a what do you say? We do it the whole show. Uh, <laughs> do you want to know why I will get old like that? pretty fast. Do you ever notice I always have like really random facts about celebrities that probably aren't true? Yes. Um, Which <laughs> he only talks like that because when he gets a script, he takes all the punctuation out of it. I heard that. I mm. told you that. Was that you? Probably. Because <laughs> I made it up. That's where you heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear that somewhere. It was here. All right. And anyway. Anyway. Fun fact. <laughs> so before we get to the interview, uh, we have some beers to drink from Beer Boys in uh, downtown Wilkes-Barre, uh, right up the street from where we're recording here tonight. Uh, now, they have 72 beers on tap. Uh, they actually have a uh, Sierra Nevada takeover uh, coming up. Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. So uh, we're going to try two of their beers and uh, also a third one that's kind of special. 
Yeah. And uh, that TAP takeover, which is next Wednesday, uh, some highlights about that is uh, the Firkin is going to be a Celebration Fresh Hop IPA, which is super rare, um, and the uh, also a Northern Hemisphere. Oh. Same, I don't know. Like, do it like Christopher Walken. <laughs> oh, the Celebration <laughs> Firkin. <laughs> super rare. <laughs> you immediately made was incredible. <laughs> Ooh. I, oh. Oh. It's fucking. Yeah, but it should be a pretty cool event. And, uh, yeah. All next right. Wednesday, so. So which one are we trying, then? Well, I guess we should probably lead off with the Sierra Nevada. All right. Let's have our, our guest here, Jeff. Uh, you can pick between uh, the uh, Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest or that sounds good. The Sierra Nevada Orange Sidecar oh, Pale Ale, which we had last week through the Randall of um, Candy Corn. Candy right? Corn, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was this is good. this is just the this regular is just, one. Just yeah, by itself. Chico California's uh, best Sierra Nevada. I think I'm gonna go with the Orange. Okay. I've had the Oktoberfest. Used to be very rare to get the Oktoberfest. Now it's uh, more widely uh, known. But I'm dying to try this new Orange. Pale ale. Right. It's very good. I had it. I was, I was actually drinking it in Vegas when I was there back in June. It's very refreshing. When I was an intern at CNN, the only gig I could get on the weekends was uh, doing promos for Sierra Nevada in mm. Washington, D.C. Fun fact. That is uh, a fun fact. Another fun fact. <laughs> and I did not talk about Christopher Walken when I did it, but, you know. Oh. I'm going to pour this beer. Oh. oh. <laughs> can can you, do you know what the SNL skit I was talking about, I was referring to? The one with the cowboy, right? Yeah. My favorite one. You guys one were looking him. at me like that was really, really <laughs> bomb in there. No, my, my favorite <laughs> one of him <laughs> is with the uh, the googly eyes. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And he's got the plants, and he puts Thanks. the googly yeah. eyes on the plants, so they can like relate to them. And the uh, the continental is also a good Cheers. one. That is a funny yeah. one. That's an old one. Yeah, that's a real isn't old it? One. Yeah, that's. He wears, yeah, he wears the suit. He's a creep. Yeah. I mean, he's always kind of a creep. He, he always is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Gerard, I'm sorry, bud. I ain't going about SNL skits for. Years. Heavy hand tonight. <laughs> so. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Oh. <laughs> it is quite refreshing. Very it's refreshing. Really good. It's, uh, it's the, quite good. The very bright citrus hops kind of come right through. Yeah. So should I read the uh, the words? Well, yeah, yeah I, don't, uh, I don't think we've talked enough about that. Gerard, uh, the sidecar orange pale ale is a pale ale with a twist. <laughs> the bright citrus-heavy hops are punched with the citrus while maintaining the crisp hop bite and balance with a hint of orange peel. It's fucking awesome, and you can't have any. <clears throat> wow. Well, I can't. I can go on the beer boys. There you go. It works. Yeah, it's smart of you. It works. <laughs> We also want to give a shout-out uh, to uh, our other sponsor, The Keys, in downtown Scranton. Uh, this Thursday is their open mic. Uh, Friday, The Disorders will be playing uh, the best of the Ramones, Misfits, Dead Boys, Iggy and the Stooges, and more. So if you're a punk fan, uh, you should definitely be there. Uh, and any rock bands, uh, Fauna, C uh, Cerulean Blue, and uh, Shock Value will play on Saturday. Uh, the following week is Static in the Attic uh, on Friday. Uh, who are great. If you haven't seen them yet, uh, you should really make it down to that. And uh, Saturday, uh, next Saturday, is an or original songwriter showcase. Uh, Little Star Run, Amanda Rogan, Kali Ma, and the Garland of Arms. 
and uh, the Charming Beards. So all great bands. Uh, we also want to shout out to the Kirby Center, uh, right right over here. Uh, they have Stomp coming uh, to, uh, tomorrow and uh, Friday. So uh, their trucks are already out there, uh, making me having I to was drive around the block. Who the heck that was? Yeah, yeah, they're pulling in all their equipment and stuff. There all the garbage cans in the city are now gone. Yeah. <laughs> so they can perform Stomp. Pretty much. <laughs> the next couple of days. <laughs> Snorting. Uh, Simply Three is November 15th. Uh, Wilkes Bear's uh, own Dustin Douglas and the Electric Gentlemen are playing a Stevie Ray Vaughan tribute on November 18th. We'll actually have them on the show uh, coming up next week. Uh, Night Ranger and Lover Boy on November 24th. And uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer on November 29th. Uh, we also want to shout out to uh, Loyalty Barbershop and Shave Parlor. Uh, they have locations in Scranton, Archibald, and their recently opened uh, Wilkes Bear location on South Main Street. You forgot a show. Uh, at the Kirby Center. Which one? The, oh, the one that they just announced? The snow yeah. show? Yeah, the snow show. Well, that's uh, not until January. Why not tell them now? <laughs> Tickets are for sale. Well, if they read NEPAScene.com, they would already know about the show. Go push the site, Rich. I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I think the whole show kind of does that. but Okay. All right, so, so Jeff, <laughs> uh, can you start by giving us a little background on how you got into movies and theater and stuff like that? Uh, did it start with the writing, or did it start with kind of a love for that kind of stuff first? It started, for, I think, a combination of all of them. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I was in college. Uh, I loved uh, movies, uh, not so much the theater, although I came to love that, uh, but television. Uh, and I never thought I could make a career out of it because it was just always held out there as something that uh, is nearly impossible to break into. Mm. Um, but <clears throat> I wrote a play when I was at the University of Scranton, and it, uh, it won the Playwriting Festival and was produced, and uh, it started a whole trend of, uh, oh, well, perhaps uh, I should give a little bit more interest in this, you know, at least uh, as a side gig. Uh, and as I was getting my master's degree, um, uh, actually for my master's thesis, I uh, adapted Jack Kerouac's On the Road uh, into a screenplay, and I did a critical apparatus. Um, and it garnered some attention. Uh, and at the time, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's company, Zoetrope, had the rights to it. And uh, mm. I had talked to their offices, and uh, they said, uh, if you have your agent send it, uh, we have a strong interest. Mm. And I became a pocket client of a literary agency called Moses and Singer. Mm. So I went from uh, thinking, uh, gosh, this is a pie-in-the-sky dream. I'm always going to pick a, <laughs> a day job to, oh, my God, this is the easiest yeah. thing in the world. We're going to take <laughs> Hollywood right by, uh, you know. <laughs> and what happened was uh, in a, a short... Um, uh, span of events. Uh, I'd written some other screenplays, uh, and I went off to California uh, mm. to peddle my wares, and obviously successfully because I'm in Wilkes-Barre lighting cigars with hundred-dollar bills. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, <laughs> but no, it was a good learning curve. Uh, but there was a, there was a tax break uh, back in Pennsylvania, um, mm. and I came back and made uh, Charlie Chaplin's Body, which was my first movie. Mm. So Man in Canvas was in the midst of one of, of that period. Uh, I had uh, done some screenplays, and uh, you know nothing wows them in Hollywood like a, a boxing company set in Scranton. You know, so. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. So, you know, all these years later, I just adapted to a stage play. I have a mm. great residency at the Diva Theater. Um, every year we've had uh, capacity crowds, and uh, we've been lucky, not good, that uh, last two productions won a bunch of awards. Um, and we are going to take them to other markets. Uh, I recently had a, my wife and I had a, a baby, so <laughs> I'm just, uh, things are moving a little bit slowly, but in a great way. It gives you time to think and reflect how to take it to the next level. Sure. Well, you know, if you set your next play in an office in Scranton, maybe uh, NBC or somebody will pick it up. I'm thinking a paper company. Yeah. Never been done. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the next, right? Yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm surprised somebody hasn't done the office as a 
theater oh, sort don't, of thing. Don't give NBC any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They already kind of drove that show into the ground as it was. Like, yeah. way too many seasons. Yeah. How many? What, like, eight at least, right? Yeah, eight or nine I seasons. Nine, nine's like the going That's... rate, right? Well, it's it's a lot when your premise is that a couple of guys are making a documentary about office life. Like, how long is this fucking movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> they were really embedded in there. They couldn't get out. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> they, these people are just that interesting in, in Scranton. Uh, so what... Uh, what what inspires you to write? What is your what was your uh, initial uh, idea in terms of uh, wanting to to get into this stuff? Yeah, I had some weird interests. I mean, uh, as a kid, just uh, I loved old uh, comedies. I loved the Marx Brothers, all the old comedians. Uh, I loved comic books. I was a huge comic book reader. I think Chris Claremont's X Men, you know, was uh, just a constant uh, diet for me. Uh, and then uh, you know, my palate expanded as I uh, uh, got older. Uh, we I discovered sports and. Uh, uh, I actually I trained as a boxer for a while, and that uh, you know, so different interests came in at different times in my life. You know, when I'm going off to college, and uh, you know, an internship at CNN uh, determined that I did not want to work in uh, television. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, just different routes taken. Things when I was a kid, uh, especially the comedies. I love the old comedies, Kaufman and Hart, which uh, was a huge uh, influence on Man the Canvas. They uh, did The Man Who Came to Dinner, hmm. and You Can't Take It With You. Uh, so these are some old works. Recently, I've been more inspired uh, by some true crime. Uh, the one uh, that was produced a couple years ago at, uh, called Behind the Six was based on the great male robbery of 1962. Mm. Um, it was set in South Boston. Um, we got great notices for that. I was very lucky. Um, and the Judas Sheep uh, was done last year. Uh, that did even better, and that was uh, uh, based on a true story out of Missouri uh, about Ken Rex McElroy, a town bully who a town <coughs> killed and then went quiet when the feds came to investigate. Hmm. Um, so they took out their town bully and nobody ever spoke. It just seemed like a compelling <laughs> angle for me. So yeah. it's gone from uh, old comedies to uh, daylight killing. So you see where my mind is going as right. I go into middle age. Uh, <laughs> and um, I've just finished uh, the one for next year, uh, which is based on a true story. Uh, the jogging rapist case in Philadelphia in 1979. Hmm. Uh, there was a serial rapist um, and uh, young girls up to the age of 17. This guy was a real monster. Uh, were just being preyed upon. It was awful, and they couldn't solve it, but they used some crazy techniques, including uh, uh, hypnosis <laughs> and just some crazy police tactics. This is before they had a, uh, you know, SVU unit, mm -hmm. or they were using computers, and uh, they just had to use old brass tacks, and, and they got this guy. Hmm. And uh, one of the major, actually the lead on the case, Jerry Baker, uh, I got to know him in the uh, 2000s. He's a, an, an uncle of a good college friend of mine, and he said, I want you to tell my story. He passed away from... Um, emphysema but I, I took all his notes and only recently was able to interview the other people involved with it hmm. uh, on the federal level and some retired detectives uh, and uh, it was a compelling story that sounds really interesting yes yes well uh, you know the, the facts I, like story. I, I, I know it sounds weird like when I go to sleep at night like I'll watch like the true crime stories sure it's always compelling stuff so yeah. just the, the facts alone I don't know how the writing turned out but you know uh, just the story alone is going to be a you know, uh, it's called Saint of Darkness, and that's going to go up next November. Hmm. Uh, so we've already had advanced uh, ticket sales on the Canvas Record, where we've already booked that. So thank goodness. That's awesome. Yeah, again, knock wood. <laughs> <laughs> Things are good. Yeah. Reminds me a, a little bit of uh, I, I just finished watching Mindhunter on Netflix. Oh yes. And you know how they they learn how to profile these guys and stuff like that. It's a, I, I I thought it was super interesting, and a lot of it, you know, is. Based on true events, based on the book Mine Hunters, but not 
necessarily the you know exact same thing they change some of the names and mm-hmm. you know fudge some of the facts and stuff like that and make it a little more interesting i guess but uh but still i, I think there's a lot of interest in that kind of stuff and sure. in profiling the criminal mind and figuring out how it works yeah we have a, a, a just a plethora these days of, of true crime reality shows even if they're from 20 years ago you know i watched oj on uh, FX, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't have a compelling interest in it. A lot of people, the the, the Bronco Chase was the night I graduated high school. So, in a weird way, uh, I kind of felt like that was still recent history. Sometimes I need a kick in the head yeah. to say that really wasn't <laughs> right. Uh, and I felt like I knew everything. And of course, the show really um, hit up some <laughs> angles in it that made it very compelling viewing. I really enjoyed it. I find mm. the casting really interesting. Very interesting. I, that's what I that's what I like to see is the casting and how. Those people take on the roles, mm-hmm. and they're good. Yeah, mm-hmm. that gentleman who's in This Is Us, uh, I, I wish I remembered his name, uh, but he played um, um, uh, Chris uh, Darden. And mm-hmm. uh, God, just amazing. And I, and I knew that, um, uh, again, the names escape me, but the, um, the actress who played uh, Marsha Clark, uh, she's so well-known. She's in everything that uh, Ryan Murphy does. But <laughs> I knew right from the first episode she was going to win the Emmy, and I never say that. Yeah, she's just incredible. Just channeled somebody. And we're watching, uh, we being my wife and I, the Menendez brothers, uh, not quite as good as that series, but it, mm. the point is it's out there. And more than right. ever, people are uh, dredging up these stories. And the next one that's going to be done in FX is uh, Johnny Versace. Uh, That'll be interesting, it's too. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's something that, you know, again, now I'm like, well, I don't know a lot about these cases. I guess I thought I had. Yeah. I remember the track in Andrew Cananan and, you know, uh, but that was, uh, I, I was uh, an intern at CNN uh, at that time. And back then, they didn't have everything cataloged and digital. <laughs> so you knew somebody died when they go, Jeff, run down the library and get all the B-roll you can on Jimmy Stewart. Because Jimmy Stewart had died that summer. That's why I knew Jimmy Stewart was dead. But they said, run down everything again on Johnny Versace. I really didn't know a lot about him. I knew the Versace name. It was a designer. Um, I'm like, well, you know, why? Like, he was shot in broad daylight, you know, in front <laughs> of his house. So I just remember that just being a, you know, very big case because they've been tracking this guy for a while and it, uh, that's how it petered out and all these years later yeah you know i'm open to the fact that i can i can go with another interpretation of these these stories and mm-hmm. you know fresh eyes mm-hmm. you know all these years later so well you know the the thing with uh these types of productions you know speaking of casting and things like that is they have the benefit of being able to cast a wide net for that kind of stuff with your plays, obviously, you have a much smaller net in which to find actors. Now, do you have a role in the casting of these actors at all? And, and you know, what? how do you find the right people for these types of roles in, in, in uh, smaller productions like this? That's a great question. We have a great talent pool here. Uh, you know, the, we have this very strong community theater uh, presence here in Northeast Pennsylvania. But I've been working with uh, some of the same actors for years, and I do enjoy working with the same people, especially if I know they can do it, because you have a short window to do a production. Mm. And you just got to know who's going to be able to pull it off, because, you know, there does become problematic patches, you know, uh, with any production. But that being said, we always do open casting. You never know who's going to come through the door. And I've been surprised. I've met some wonderful uh, actors and actresses who just blew me away, did something different that I never thought was there. So it's a mix of, um, even though it's open casting, people that I've worked with and uh, new people. Because I think they just gel well, and uh, uh, it's proven successful. I've seen some shows locally and also uh, on Broadway where it hasn't gelled so well. Mm. So, you, you know, you do know the other side of the coin, and you don't always know. But after doing it a while, you have an instinct, <clears throat> and you know who's a professional, who's a workhorse, who's done it before. So they're going to make it work somehow, and we've been lucky to have that. So Sam Falbo is uh, headlining this show, and Sam has been with me since uh, 
I did Chaplin's Body back in 2006, mm. uh, uh, my first film. And uh, so he's, you know, and I don't just take Sam on because it's a given. I mean, he comes out and he, he uh, does the casting, uh, the uh, auditions like anybody. And he uh, always brings something new, something dynamic. Uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, I'm just always astounded. Not, not astounded because, oh, my God, there's talented people in Scranton. Astounded because, you know, uh, these are people I haven't met. They're, and they live in my same community. And yeah. I'm like, wow, you're doing this for free. <laughs> you're coming out four days a week and doing rehearsals, you know, and, and you got some you got right. some chops. So it's uh, it's humbling. And so. as, as a writer, too, I'd imagine that, I mean, these characters are, you know, living in your head for so long and you have an idea of who they are and what they sound like and stuff like that. So it's got to be interesting to see what other people are taking, you know, a clean look <clears> at the page and deciding what they think this character is or what they, they think it sounds like or looks like. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, sometimes uh, this is more of a farce and a screwball comedy, so this is a little bit more zeroed in and people have been skewing closer to what mm. I had thought, you know, but um, that's because it's comedy and comedy is the hardest to do and it's the timing is everything. So, but I've had other shows where, um, yeah, it, if somebody takes a line that I wrote um, and uh, I either change it because of something they said or they just do a twist on it that totally makes me rethink, you know. Um, mm. I'm, I'm so impressed by that, you know, and I want to work with that person, you know, because I'm always willing to change, and, you know. They eventually, you got to put a script down, you know, mm. uh, for good. But uh, until it's actually on stage, uh, you know, you can rework certain parts. And, uh, and yeah, sometimes the actors um, just bring out a total, you know, almost a blind side to uh, the way they're reading or going through the process of bringing this character to life. So it does, you know, just, wow. Uh, this is not the character in my head, you know. <laughs> it's even better. So, is there is there any improvisation at all, or do they really kind of try to stick to the script as much as possible? I'm not a writer, and I'm very involved with the directing process uh, with these shows. But I don't. It's not the Bible, <laughs> right? You know, I, at the end of the day, I'm just another hack. You know, so if they see something, I'm always open to interpretation. Uh, this was inspired by the comedies of the '30s, so there was not an archaic or, or a dated, uh, you know, But a dialogue. certain sensibility, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, sometimes things jive better. They said, this sounds a little bit better. There's too much alliteration here. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, they, they stick to the script. Sometimes they added a little something that uh, made it even funnier. Mm. Sometimes they added it, and, uh, you know, I'd have to go, uh, you know, no, that, that was the last line, and, you know, <laughs> that's the laugh, and that's, you know. Right. Um, but I, I rarely, you know, do that because I just, uh, I like an open collaboration. Until Hell Week, which is this week, in which case, uh, just, uh, <laughs> just do, let's just do the lines. <laughs> right. Let's just, let's just yeah. get through the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we, do, we do have a, a question. Um, Bernadette Hopkins says, uh, what awards have you received? Ah. Um, I, uh, the first play, uh, well, my play, uh, I won a Best Filmmaker in a pr press poll for uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin's Body, the, the film. Mm. And the film didn't win an award, but it, it screened at the um, Cannes Film Festival Short Film Corner back in 2007, uh, I believe, which, which was wonderful uh, to be in that stage. But um, uh, behind the six won um, Best Original Production, but then it won Best uh, Overall Production, which was the award of the night for the uh, NEPTA Awards. Mm. Uh, and it's the first original production ever to win that in all the years the NEPT has been around. So we were very oh, happy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was very happy to see that. Uh, Sam Falbo won Best Supporting Actor for that. And then uh, last year's show won Best Original Production, Best Supporting Actress. Um, we've had a lucky run, but it's because, again, I surround myself with, you know, 
great cast, great director. So well, you you work with uh, Paige a lot. Yes. At at, uh, at Diva, uh, can you talk a little bit about your relationship uh, with uh, the Diva and with the the old Brick Theater and stuff like that? Sure. You know, Paige uh, and I uh, met back in the early two thousands. Maybe it was the late nineties, actually. At this point, when she uh, was at the Adams uh, Avenue Theater uh, near the Blog, uh, and we had all thought she was going to be there forever. Uh, you know, and. Uh, she did a, a revival of Chaplin's Body, and uh, we said, "Oh, this." We served. She served on the, a bunch of boards that I worked for, uh, Scranton Tomorrow, and uh, I did First Night back then. And uh, our paths always just run concurrent. When I was in uh, California, I always sent her screenplays. I said, "How does this sound to you?" You know, she always mm -hmm. gave me great advice. We were great friends for a long time, and then she had some lean years in the theater. Unfortunately, she lost her space in Adams Avenue. It was kind of a, a gypsy almost. Not I remember choice. that. Yeah. yeah, but she always kept going mm -hmm. and bringing crowds and, and, uh, and giving young actors uh, their due on stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Old Brick Theater um, became available as a space. And immediately it seemed like kismet, you know. Right. She's got a production uh, company and uh, it's she never looked back. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a month where there hasn't been some kind of production in there. Right. In the previous... Uh, tenant will say uh had years where there was nothing going on as a theater <laughs> right uh, so uh it's now there's a marquee out front uh, it's really brought a, a verb to that uh, uh section of the city it's it's a cool space to see a show you know mm -hmm. I, I think that you know some people might be intimidated by the fact that it is very small and you're right there almost on top of the stage but uh, it does add like an intimacy to the shows and stuff like that is that something that your shows benefit from in that sense <clears throat> in that space it's a great question because it does. I think, especially in the beginning, uh, both were one was set in a VFW, one was set in a bar, and there wasn't mm. large casts, and so you know you had that uh, very intimate uh, in the moment. And it's like a New York black, black box theater, right? Know? And it, it does put you part of it. But as the cast get bigger and the shows get bigger, this was a screenplay that was adapted. Um, this time, it's a we didn't run out of room with the stage. We're we're making it work in a great way, and it works perfectly. But if I had any bigger cast uh, or uh, set aspirations <laughs> you know I think I'd, uh, we'd have to tone it down a bit because we're yeah. um, we're making it work in a great way and we're not at capacity but uh, I thought if I had one more character in the show <laughs> we have to use somebody's lap you know for part of the set right but uh, no uh, it's you know especially with the comedy I think it's gonna lend itself very well to uh, that kind of atmosphere they'll feel a part of it so who is the, 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 the comedy, you know, who is it aimed at? Because you said a lot of it is inspired by that old-timey comedy. Mm -hmm. So uh, is it something that, you know, a, a modern audience who might not be familiar with that stuff can still get into? I'm hoping. Uh, we certainly have advanced uh, reservations. <laughs> uh, so I know some people, uh, you know, I hope that, of course, some of them are coming out to see their, their, they know somebody in the cast. Um, maybe they've seen one of my other shows and really enjoyed it. Um, but it's a type of comedy not done very often, but the Coen brothers tend to do uh, stuff of this nature. That's true. And people show up, uh, and I think it's just something that's not tapped into. I think the screwball is an element in a lot of modern comedy. You just don't know it. Um, right. And this is a straight uh, farce screwball, uh, so it's, I think people are going to be impressed if they haven't been, you know, introduced to this, uh, then I think they're going to uh, maybe investigate some of the old timies, but at least uh, they'll certainly enjoy this modern iteration. It does take place in the present. Some of it, at least. Well, the the uh, I I think stuff like the Marx Brothers and things like that. I think people don't know that they would love it, 
mm-hmm. they just see it. But there's exactly. really there's not as much access to that stuff now, unless you're you know a, a collector who's like seeking it out, or you're you're mm-hmm. going to buy the DVDs and stuff like that. But people don't really buy home media anymore. You know that's kind of going by the wayside. So. You know, I, I wonder how people are going to be able to consume that kind of stuff in the future. It's tough. I sought it out. I remember going to this Grand Public Library when I was a kid because I had read books about the Marx Brothers and Chapman. I, and I, you know, I knew they were held up a, to this high standard. But I remember renting or, or borrowing uh, VHS tapes from uh, constantly. I had to wear them out. Duck soup. I probably <laughs> wore that cassette out yeah. in this Grand Public Library, but just w- w- renting that and, and watching it uh, and then recording them on PBS late at night. And if there's a pledge drive, you got part of the movie cut off. So I remember for years I didn't know how uh, a Night at the Opera started, you know, or ended, because uh, part of it got cut off. You know, back then with the VHS, you had to be very specific with your start and end time. So, right. Uh, but I remember that's the only way I can consume it back then. It was like gold. Like, oh my God, you know, Day at the Race is going to be on VIA at 2 a.m. You know, I remember set in the VCR. Like, you know, it was great. That that's the only version I had for years. Now, you know, it's instant. Right. But. It was a compelling reason for me to go and get it. You know, I was inspired to go and get it. I don't know that there's really that compelling reason anymore. I often read these articles uh, where they say, is anything in black and white relevant anymore? Is anything that's Mm. black and white funny? You know, I totally think it's hilarious. I think it's great. But I've heard other people give arguments, no, it's it's outdated. It's not funny. Some like it hot is hilarious. Some like it hot is hilarious. I just, you know, and I, I mean, personally, I haven't seen a good comedy in years. Like, on, in, in theaters, like, mm-hmm. there's been absolutely nothing that has interested me in the stuff that has. It's like, it's okay. It's tired. It's kind of the same jokes over and over again. It's not, you know, as compelling, I think, as some of that stuff is. I mean, that's just me. I agree. I remember in the 90s uh, reading this quote from Gary, Larry Gelbart. He created uh, uh, the television show MASH. And he wrote and directed Tootsie, which is considered one of the greatest comedies of all time, up there with Some Like It Hot on AFI's top mm-hmm. 100 list of comedies. Yeah. And he said the reason that sitcoms uh, were getting stale, and this is before the, the rebirth of television with the Mad Men <clears throat> and uh, Sopranos, but he, right before that he said the reason it's gotten so stale is because back then when they wrote a sitcom, back then being All in the Family and the you know, generation before, right. they were well-rounded. They had gone to the theater. They had gone to opera. Mm. Um, they listened to radio. So those were the influences. And right. they were very well read. By the time you got to the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, they were weaned on sitcoms. So they were recycling <laughs> what they were putting out. Yeah. And, it, and that, was, that just rang so true to me. You know, he's absolutely right. You know, they were more well-rounded. And now mm. I, I think somebody uh, realized that Matthew Weiner, who did Mad Men, and, uh, you know, David Chase, who did Sopranos, you know, they came right. from a whole other avenue and just uh, blew it up. Not so much the comedies at first, but that came later. Maybe Larry Sanders show. I'll say the Larry Sanders show, which was right before that, was, um, you know, one of the best comedies of all time. But that kind right. of, uh, that was very revolutionary back then. But it took a kind of a kick in the ass. And uh, Larry Gelbert totally nailed that to me. But I think that's happening, starting to happen a little bit again now, too. Yeah, there is there is more of a television renaissance now than there than there has been in, in many years. You know, mm-hmm. they seem like there's a lot of good stuff and, and comedy stuff too. You know, and I, I haven't seen as much of that kind of stuff. I know people talk about like Parks and Rec and shows like that. I I honestly haven't seen them, so I it's can't funny. say. Is it good? It's funny. I love that cast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like I like the actors in it. I just for some reason I never got I feel around like to Reno it. Thirty Rock kind of started that uh, genre of like. The fake cops show or, or the documentary it's actually yes. scripted but you're looking at the camera right i want to start doing that on this show <laughs> <laughs>
We already have some great material here. <laughs> Inside Out leggings. We got Mom running the vacuum. This could be the best night ever for a documentary. Crew. <laughs> That's my favorite when they do that, when they look Walken, at the camera. Right? Because we're walking, uh, pouring Sierra Nevada. Yeah. Speaking of <laughs> I'm drying up. It's going to let one go on. I think Reno 911, I would assume, would, was the originator of that sort of... Yeah, I mean that was the first one that I really noticed yeah. in terms in that style. And that, that show's was hilarious. Like that. that was great. Yeah, that's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, it was really fun. Never watched it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I just remember the one moment in the show where the guy's like slept over and he wakes up <laughs> and he goes, "I just had the most wonderful dream." <laughs> And the guy next to him goes, you do know you're driving. And the guy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's like, oh. <laughs> they, were, they were sketch comedy theater type people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they were their own troupe Thank Because they that. had the state. Do you, do you remember the state? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, state, the state was great. Very underrated. That was very funny. Thank you, John. Me too. Me too. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. All right. So this is uh, the Oktoberfest, right? It is. <clears throat> Let's see. Gerard, a little spit. <laughs> All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Mm. Tell you a little bit about this beer. Can you do Catherine Heffer in this time? That's rather alarming mountain coming our way. That's actually uh, Kate Blanchett as Catherine Heffer. <laughs> wow. I sweat in your death. Why don't we find pair of misfits? Good, right? God, that was really scarily good. <laughs> I've just been waiting for someone to say Catherine Hepburn randomly my whole life. No one has ever done it. <laughs> Let's act out the whole of the aviator later. <laughs> yeah. How, how heels. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, this is the uh, Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest, which is a collaboration with a German brewery on a classic festival beer. Deep golden color, rich, rich malt flavor, and balanced by traditional German-grown hops. It's it's definitely uh, it's very smooth and it's it's like a it's it tastes like the, similar to the last beer. I think it's more like a lager, really. Yeah, it is. Oh. It is similar to the last beer in that sense. God, it oh. It's more to me. Yeah. It tastes more like a lager than it does like an October. A lager, you say? By no means do we know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh. it tastes like a lager. <laughs> <laughs> say it in your Nipa I'm accent. Getting a rich aroma. Oh yeah, I don't know. It tastes like a beer to me, though. I, I guess uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> Couple two three. Yeah. There's lacing on the glass. <laughs> right. That's too sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, we don't get that. We don't get that. Which got is... nice legs. Nice legs on this beer. <laughs> we have we have two beer reviewers on the site, uh, and they they both do a pretty good job of describing the the flavors and all that kind of stuff. And it's so funny because uh, every every maybe once every couple months or so, you'll get one of those kind of NEPA guys who who just comment and be like. What, is it a beer or is it a dessert? What the fuck, man? Yeah. What, what is this shit? Oh, you know? Dad. Like, Wait. okay, we, we get it. You're a tough guy. You only drink cheap shit. We, we totally get it. You're so Bush. manly. Bush You're, pounders all day. You know, like, okay, like, awesome, but uh, we don't give a shit. It's either a turdy or bush or it's not for me. <laughs> I think it would be kind of hard to do a weekly column about, you know, the same three or four uh, domestics. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was drinking that Bud for a minute there, and uh, I was getting a little chubby, so I went to Bud Light. <laughs> now I've been drinking that for a little bit, and uh, it was pretty good. I'm still fat. Yeah, I'm still fat. <laughs> this week's beer, Miller High Life, the Champagne of beers. We'll do it like we gotta do it like uh, the SNL scout with Ditka. Yeah, we're definitely channeling that now. <laughs> yeah. uh, beers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Polish sausage. <laughs> I keep snorting. It all comes back to SNL. So that's your cut. All right. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Beer boys and Wolf's Bear. Seventy-two yes. beers on tap. Seventy-two beers on tap. Let's see when about to Crowler fills. Crowler fills. Randles. These are crowlers. Randles. And <laughs> beer. That's next. That's next. Yes. We have uh, an epic pumpkin porter through the randle of pumpkin pie and cinnamon sticks. Don't threaten me with a good time. Don't threaten me with a good time. They also. It's actually. It's like. It's actually like pumpkin pie and the cinnamon. It's like not a joke. Right. Follow their Instagram or their Facebook page. We post pictures up there. Yeah, they actually shove all that. Yeah, <laughs> last week was like crazy. legit candy corn, which was it was candy corn in our beer. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. And like you think that would be gross, and it wasn't. Yeah, no. surprisingly. Hmm. What? What? What I wanted to talk about is is how do you go about getting a play produced? So, say somebody out there is listening, has an idea. Uh, maybe has a script, uh, you know, I, I don't think people know exactly where to go. How do you get that done? So, uh, you know, do you have any advice in, in, in how to get a play produced? Yes, uh, and uh, maybe people want to use my advice or totally ignore it. Uh, and <laughs> might have a faster approach. Uh, it is a tough business. Um, first of all, I, I started out as a screenwriter, and I took uh, meetings in uh, Hollywood and Beverly Hills. We're talking, you know, um, the typical, I, I literally got offered jobs in the mailroom, but mm. I couldn't get a, a, a pr proper pitch session, so I went through many of those. Uh, so then getting the plays done, I had some plays as well, and I came back here to Scranton, I thought it would be uh, a little easier. Um, but back at the time I came back, it was very nepotistic. I mean, people get into these boards, and they would just lord over these theaters. Uh, Paige was always inviting, and she still is to uh, young talent, uh, which is... Uh, rare and uh, I mean uh, I can't say enough great things we've been partners for years she's fantastic but that's very rare uh, behind the six which um, ended up uh, uh, selling out a bunch of shows making money and doing very well uh, for awards for page etc uh, I could not <laughs> I had to fight to get that uh, even read at other uh, theaters uh, mm -hmm. and they a couple theaters promised me they would put it on uh, and then uh, the one theater went bust and uh, the other one, uh, the guy just uh, lost uh, an interest in the theater. It is a tough business. Um, but I got strung along for a while. And then uh, now, uh, you know, I, I have multiple theater companies saying, you know, do you have anything, anything extra, any one acts that you do, you know? Uh, and I said, mm. no, I'm, I'm with Paige. You know, she's supporting me, but nobody else would. And um, so now we're having a great option. We have interest in other, from other markets in it. And, um, you know, I want to capitalize on that, but I want to make the right decisions. And I'm looking to take my writing career and obviously heighten it and, you know, uh, get it uh, to a, uh, you know an even loftier position just because uh, obviously you know after years of doing this I'd like to uh, get paid a little bit more for it but um, sure. the, the joy is still there of getting up and uh, even though I'm a <laughs> seven month old uh, <laughs> not getting up so early but uh, you know uh, maybe staying uh, up and uh, just doing the writing process is still um, you know still great you know it's like a drug I mean this beer is great but I mean there's nothing like that you know and it's still exciting it's just changed it is you know there's more of a business sense to it and uh i yeah obviously i want to do something that would be attractive on stage um, right but um yeah so uh to people out there who want to make it just uh, find them get in with a theater company that takes original works work your way up mm -hmm. uh you know if they want casting if they want stage managers they want crew just work uh become part of a, a community and then pitch your uh, pitch your best works and don't be afraid of criticism 
I'm always up for you know people ripping it apart. I don't I don't want to put on anything that's crappy. Sure. I want it to be very attractive. And I know some. I've known many playwrights uh, who just don't want it touched from the time it's done. You know. Right. This is gold. <laughs> you know. So um, that's that's believe me that's never the case. With William Goldman, who wrote uh, Butch Cassidy's Sundance Kid, uh, and many others, it's not the case. You know, yeah. he didn't say that. So, you know, don't be afraid of a little criticism. So, I th- it's it's kind of tough to get a play reviewed around here. I think people are kind of like hesitant about saying anything and, and sure. hurting anybody's feelings, or you know, say, ah, that actor wasn't that good, or anything like that. And now it's like, oh well, I I, I know that guy. I, mean, I see him in the grocery store. I'm gonna yeah. t- I'm gonna tell him off next time I see him. You know, like. I think it's kind of tough for people to really review theater around here. Yeah, there used to be, uh, you know, in some publications that, uh, you know, we all know the names of, there used to be some theater reviews, but I understand why it became tough for them to do that, because you're trying to co- uh, convince people to come out to community theater, which is already a tough, tough racket. And then uh, have mm-hmm. an objective And then it's a, it's a negative review, you know? And, yeah. Right. And, and listen, you don't want to discourage the arts in any way. Exactly. But you want to be authentic in what you're saying. Well, the people, so it's, people want to sweat out for 12 weeks, you know, kids and everything, yeah. putting their all into it. Sure. Sometimes it is crap. There's no other way to say it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying locally, you know, any market. But yeah. um, so I understand why it became tough in an area like this, you know, mm-hmm. where there's only really, and eventually there's only one theater critic. You know, what are you going to yeah. do? They <laughs> can't see everything, you know, and a yeah. lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff I don't like. A lot of it I do like. And um, so I like that they just didn't notice this after a while. Something like that's very <laughs> tough, uh, you know. I, I would love it if they reviewed my stuff. And, uh, you know, we did give out uh, papers to uh, one, you know, and I got a lot of positive uh, notes, but I've also given it to some people um, in other markets, and I've gotten great notices back, and we hope to take it a step further, you know, down the pike. Now, are you thinking about doing any more filmmaking? Because, uh, obviously, uh, you know, your focus lately has been on the, the play and that kind of stuff. Uh, have you thought about uh, film at all? I have. I, I've been working on a documentary for the last eight years. It's done, and uh, it's um, being edited uh, uh, locally. It's almost, uh, that part's almost in the post-production. Uh, it's called um, Flood of Memories, A Living History of West Pittston. And uh, years ago, um, one of the backers on Charlie Chaplin's body uh, said, I want you to come out and take some video of these 90-plus-year-olds, because this was his community, and they're going to mm. tell this story. I didn't have a vested interest aside from the fact that this guy stuck up for me when, you know, uh, sure. and helped fund my project that, uh, you know, there's no worse investment than film. So <laughs> I respect him for that. So I came and I filled these interviews and I, I made the mistake of saying, wow, there really is a story here. <laughs> and uh, so I started filling in some blanks around that. Uh, I'd never done a documentary before, but I'd seen tons of them. Mm-hmm. So I had enough knowledge and I was able to piece together and did some, re- uncovered some stuff that nobody had seen uh, in a long time. And then the flood of 2011 happened which changed uh, mm-hmm. the scope of West Pittston, you know, forever. It's part of their uh, their historic narrative now. It was such a uh, devastating but ultimately, you know, uh, redemptive uh, uh, event. But uh, so that's what made the project go on and on. And then I realized, well, I can't, you know, half-ass this. I, I have to buy more footage mm. uh, from outlets, and I have to do some interlinking uh, interviews with the 90-plus-year-olds who were still alive because <laughs> <laughs> not passed away. And um, fill in the story, and it became grander, and I f- uncovered more newspaper uh, and just some uh, archival stuff. People I hadn't seen in years, and it became uh, the story, and we got a, a great narrator and someone to read some original stories from back then. Hmm. Uh, and it just became this passion project from something I really had no vested interest in. It was just a morning. <laughs> uh, and it was terrible because the guy who was supposed to come and do the video on it 
canceled the night before. So I had to scramble to get a camera, and it wasn't the best camera. And, mm. you know, you know um, what it's like when you you're, you're left to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like, now someone's going to judge me based on, you know, this horrible. Yeah. And it's really not my fault, but I lit it the best I could. Uh, so, but as, um, you know, uh, some celebrated documentarians had told me, you know, it's not always the footage, it's, you know, the story. Uh, so that, um, I've talked to uh, some people in the local television and hopefully we'll be uh, on the air next year. We hope so. Uh, there's a vested interest, and it, it turned out better than I ever imagined. So that's uh, my next project, uh, and I'm working on my uh, first novel, and that hopefully will be done by next year, too. But this is stuff that's been going on the pike, so it's not like all of a sudden I'm having this great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just always had a back catalog. I was going to say, where, where are you finding the time to write? You know, I know, I know <laughs> as, as a writer, it's, it's hard to, to get the time to just sit down and bang this stuff out, especially with a kid now. Yeah, it was you know she and my wife they're they're great inspirations uh, and they're they're very supportive. But uh, I I choose my uh, my passions and they're they're my passion. But um, you know, believe me, uh, some people out there will really understand this. There's some nights where you just, God, I could either uh, go to bed you know and get a great night's sleep or I can stay up. And you know I always say I can just stay up for an hour and get some writing done. But when you get on that, <laughs> it's just boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. And so next thing you know, it's two a.m. <laughs> uh, you know, but that's a, that's a great night. Any night that you can write, you know, writer's block, you know. So that's slowly just etch it out. So it's going to be a very uh, busy couple years, and I have a whole back catalog. I don't have writer's block. That's one thing from all these years. And just, you know, <laughs> I just accumulated stock, and now I'm lucky that I'm on a good track here. Uh, that's, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Now, you, you're also a movie reviewer, mm-hmm. and you review movies in print for many years. Now you do it on television as well, local TV, uh, WBRE, WNEP. Uh, how is that, is that inf- it, when, when you're watching all this media and consuming that, has that had an influence on your writing at all? Do you, do you, does that, uh, does that kind of seep in somewhere? I think it influenced a lot more in the past. I think you know some of the stuff I watched, uh, uh, back then I was able to watch things over and over. Mm. And that really shapes, and you really get to uncover. Uh, and these days, we're, it's a blessing and a curse. We have so much media in our fingertips. You're talking about nobody buys media anymore. When my wife and I recently moved to a house, uh, it's the first time that all my DVDs weren't in this room, in that room, in that room. We had to find the biggest DVD uh, cabinet they have to consume. And I was really embarrassed by how many DVDs that I owned. <laughs> uh, and I said, years ago, if I ever knew that you could just at the, your fingertips go on your phone or do whatever and get anything, anything you ever dreamed of, Hong Kong Fui, Hannibal, Barricard, I'm just pulling random stuff out of the air. Elf. Sure. I can get anything on it. You know, it, you know, there was no way to get this stuff, you know. Not that I'd ever want to watch Elf. But now it's just, it's on me TV or whatever. It's you just never want to watch Elf? I, of course. I've seen every one back in the day, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> My God, all the Elf fans out there are going to kill me tonight. Uh, but um, anyway. They're all coming out of the water right <laughs> Yeah. Bobby Keller is on there, like, yeah. in all caps. Like. <laughs> Somebody just looked up from eating a cat. Like, hey. <laughs> there's a little elf joke for you but uh no it's it's so you know uh, it's just so accessible that and i rarely watch things twice anymore yeah once in a while my, my wife and i we went back we rewatched the sopranos and when that show was originally on i said it was a god this is a drama that has a lot of we comedy just did in that it. and, and I, I realized it's a comedy the footage in that is so unusual it's like the way that it's filmed. Is that filming? It's very different than you would expect a television show to be filmed. And we just watched the whole Soprano and rewatched it too. It's great. And I mean, it's it hilarious. Yeah. My brother started calling me Janice. They're like, you're like Janice. I'm like, don't. I'm like, that. first of all, I was like, I don't know if that was an insult or not an insult. I was like, please stop calling me Janice. Uh, 
but uh, you know, I don't consume things twice anymore. So uh, right. not, not that it has to be consumed multiple times for it to influence me, but I'm very aware that I don't want to copy anything. Right. So um, you know, I, I just try to really, you know, stand off. A lot of times I'll sit there and go, that joke could have been so much better if you did this or that. But I'm sure everybody's like a, you know, uh, sofa critic. You know? Yeah, everybody's a critic. Yeah. <laughs> They're and, keyboard critics now. Yeah, yeah, keyboard, yeah. Very much All the bloggers so. out there. But, um, but yeah, and, and I try to uh, watch as many good shows as I can. You know, it's tough to do. There's a lot out there, man. Do you have a different approach since uh, you'd been writing reviews for so long? Now you do it for television. Is, is it different to – because I mean, I'm assuming you have, you'd have to sum it up a lot quicker, I yeah. would think, than you can in print. Yeah, it's – you know, I, I don't go into too much of – I used to get into the, the root cause. You know, some of the, um, uh, the underlying themes I would see in it, I really tend to keep it brief. Yeah. And um, just – I have to talk about so much more in that time. I preview a lot more than I review these days. Mm. Um, but I always do reviews, so I want to keep it fresh. But, yeah, it's a different approach, um, and it's conversational. Uh, so you're taking other people's comments. I, I, I really like it. It's The game's changed because um, it took a lot to write the reviews. And I love writing, but I'd rather put my writing time elsewhere. Right. Um, but, you know, I have a catalog of over 1,300 reviews out there, and I'm, I'm proud that I did them all those years as a syndicated columnist. But uh, this has added another fun element to it. Right. You know, and I have a great dialogue, and I'm glad that they keep asking me back. You know, they ask me back for more for different segments. Sometimes I have to say no. But I did <laughs> Halloween last week, and we'll do a, a movie, um, uh, you know, we'll do a Star Wars uh, feature, uh, maybe a Polka King feature in January when the new movie comes Oh, yeah, out. yeah, I'm excited um, for that. Yeah. We're we, definitely going to have, we're going to have to have those guys on the show. You know, anybody that's involved, uh, yeah, we'd love John, to have him on. John McCool John, did the documentary. John's awesome. One of my best friends. He's uh, and uh, he's always a great source. You talk about, you know, local people who inspire you, but I always ask right. him questions. Uh, and he's so giving with his uh, everything he knows, and he knows a lot. Marky Denenbaum, too, another guy who just uh, always, right. you know, always giving with the, his information and his wisdom. You know, there's a lot of good guys around who just uh, um, who know a lot, who have been there, and just are willing <laughs> to impart that. You know, that's yeah. not the case in the industry. We'd have Marky on <laughs> this podcast. We yeah. should. I was thinking about that one. We yeah. should have we should have him on one day. That'd be awesome. Can I read a comment? Yeah, yeah. Go for it. We, I think we, we have a couple that are interesting. Uh-oh. I'm read a comment from uh, Vinny at the V-Spot. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need another drink for this. Can we yeah. pour the one? <laughs> yeah, we better, better pop that one quick. I'm going to skip the first line. <clears throat> inappropriate? I'll get back to it. It's coming, it's coming later. You stick around. <laughs> Stay tuned after the show. Oh, fuck it. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Rich was an outstanding media rep, so you are so memorable that Vinny... Forgot your fucking name. <laughs> Vinny, wake the fuck up. <laughs> this is Jeff. You sure he's not talking about... He might He might be coming. He, he might be no, coming. no. We put together edgy, boundary-pushing print ads for the V-Spot bar week after week ah, yeah. for several years. I would like to know if he misses my completely unorganized and deadline-defined <laughs> edits and nasal opening gin and tonics <laughs> whole time. Nasal opening... Yeah. You're oh, so they, they, they were they were great gin and sonics. Uh, I, I worked in a variety of fields. We were talking beer before. Yep. I worked for 10 years as the sales manager of a local beer uh, importer. We uh, we wholesale the, the best beers in the business. In Pennsylvania, you know, it's exclusive to one uh, if you have the rights to it. And, uh, God, I had so many great times uh, in the beer business. And then I went on to, uh, um, you know, uh, newspaper sales, uh, which is uh, a... <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole you know, other... Been there. So, yeah. Such a... A growth industry, you know, just doing great. <laughs> Boom. <Yeah. laughs> and, uh, but one of the, uh, you know, I met so many great people. Uh, Beer Boys, uh, I worked with, uh, thank you so much. Uh, they were fantastic. And then in Ooh, Prince, I worked like with the V-Spot. 
um, and Vinny was amazing. And Thanks. I had always had to go to bat for these crazy ads that we would run <laughs> and these pictures that he would find on the chive. Oh, and yeah. uh, he had some great taglines, but it would be last minute. And um, but I'd always go to bat because uh, I love this guy's vision. And then I'd show up at his place, and uh, we'd have a laugh. And he was always supportive of the place too. He always hang a poster up in his place and mm-hmm. and tell anybody he called me. Nobody calls anybody anymore. Yeah. In fact, I called the guy who got me into Sierra Nevada beer not too long ago. He goes, nobody calls anymore. We talked for an hour. <laughs> Vinny calls me the one day. We talked for an hour. You know, mm-hmm. telling me you gotta have a second kid. Uh, and because uh, uh, you know. <clears throat> We just uh, had that kind of relationship. He's great. So I, I'm in all these fields. Did you drink that? Vinny has told me he's going to call, call me for like the past three weeks. He never has. Oh, I feel like I just said that. I'm yeah. a caller. Ooh, it smells fantastic. It's amazing. And I don't really like dark wow. beer. Oh, my goodness. Tastes like it's we'll, like. We'll a... get back to Vinny and his lack of care. This uh, <laughs> will prepare you for Thanksgiving right here. I like to call people and I think they get like weird. Like, like whoa, someone's calling me. That's awesome. That's dessert right there. That's the yeah. yeah. That's the dessert beer. That's fantastic. Wow. But it's not too sweet. No. Epic pumpkin porter through the Randall of pumpkin pie and cinnamon, cinnamon sticks. sticks. Yes. Yeah. I that it's the cinnamon. It is. Yeah, it's the cinnamon the that does it. And the pie. Oh yeah, the pie is in there. That's for sure. That that sounded horrible. Thank you, right? beer boys. Mm. <laughs> the pie is in there. The that just sounded like a terrible. <laughs> like a, a rejected sitcom. Uh, like a, hey, the pie is in there. Huh? <laughs> I guess uh, Vinny's not <clears throat> watching. I guess he had one of those eye-opening uh, uh, gin and tonics. So. He just yeah, wanted to like on. send us on a diversion and like right, you know, and do, which he's very good at, and do a plug at the V Spot, which we just which yeah, which we continue plug. to do. God damn it, that's the V Spot located at Providence. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that is a good thing about doing our events there because uh, with our open mic events, uh, a lot of the comedians, if any of you have ever been to any of our open mics or if you watch the live streams. Uh, you know, they get pretty raunchy. And so with Vinny's, uh, you know, reputation that he's made for himself in terms of his radio ads and his print ads and things like that, you know, he doesn't mind getting a little raunchy, you know, pushing the, the limits of what you can and can't say and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So uh, I, th- I think it fits right in with what yeah. he's doing there. And you know what? It's great that you have a, a, like a, a really good venue now. You know, like, right. You know, like a guy who built the stage, like built his bar out, like you have a legit venue now, you know. Right. So that's really cool. And that's it. it, it the the venue has been awesome. You yeah. know, we've gotten you know some great turnouts, and the, the new stage is amazing. So he's probably been awesome. more supportive than you could ever imagine. Definitely, very very supportive. Yeah. You know, oh, every once in a while I get in one of those hour long conversations with him. It's okay. You know, which is good. You know, it means that he. he I told him I'm going to hire him to do my commercials. <laughs> <laughs> He's, ah, he he says, sorry, Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> is there several Fs there? Oh, here, here's a good question uh, from oh. one of those comedians, Russell Austin. Uh, we've, well, we've had okay, his representative also known on as the show. Satan. Yes, yes. Wow. Uh, we had, we had. Uh, had him as, as Satan on the show, which was was pretty fun. Do you have any production horror stories or shows that went bad? That's a great question. Um, certainly, on set of the movie, um, it was a very tight schedule, and um, even though it was a short film, we had a full crew, and we shot for seven eight days. Uh, it was uh, it did get a little. Uh, there was some intense uh, moments on the set, um, but. You know, uh, we had catering, and uh, it was a number of elements that. So yeah, it, it did get a little heady. Hmm. Um, 
and uh, I because you got to meet deadlines with that kind of stuff. Absolutely, like that's, that's yeah, that's tough, and you got to get the the right shot the right way. And when there's so many people involved in something, so many things can go. Well, wrong. you know, Absolutely. you know. <laughs> well, I storyboarded the whole thing, and I knew how I wanted to look, and I was, I I didn't have that much film experience, but I had watched enough movies that I I knew uh, certain mm -hmm. things, and we showed up to set, and all day was shot on uh, you know. Uh, medium and uh and, and uh wide shots yeah that um i said we're gonna run out of time like we're only on this location <laughs> two days and it was already night the first day and we hadn't shot any of these uh, uh shots that uh so you had strong personalities on set and uh you know they had done it for years but they didn't do anything filmic they did commercial mm -hmm. work uh mostly so it's a you know butting in the heads and certainly i needed a big learning curve as well but uh ultimately sure. the, the shots during the movie the movie has been recut uh, uh the way i'd always wanted uh, or mostly mine, and that's you know it's just because I'd seen so many damn old movies <laughs> <laughs> and knew like to get the comedy through. So uh, yeah, that movie has been recut. I don't know when that'll be re-released, but um, it's a it's the running time of a two reeler comedy from the old days, and it's black and white and scratchy, mm. and it's just uh, it's phenomenal. It's the way it should have always been. That's how it was in intended. But uh, when you run out of money, uh, <laughs> you just kind of release it as is. You know, is is it easier or harder to release uh, an indie movie now? Do you think it's with... easier if you just want to. You know, I can have something uploaded by the end of the day, you know. Um, but uh, I tend to be old school and just want to go through the process of really uh, getting it to the best of its possible ability and giving it a good local premiere. And, mm. you know, I don't know what we're going to do with the documentary, but we'll do uh, some sort of a, a premiere event. And, uh, you know, there's so many great places to do that now. You have this Grant Fringe Festival, for instance. There's right. a lot of places you can, you know, do that. They just had the uh, Northeast Pennsylvania Film Festival. That would have been a great venue to do any of these. Kirby uh, would be a nice venue for that. Kirby's a great mm -hmm. venue. And that would have a, probably a really good turnout at the Kirby. Yeah, I love I love the Kirby, <clears throat> you know. Love RC Movies 14, you know. Uh, yes, my, yeah, they do some great stuff down there. And uh, they're, they're willing to show some stuff that's a little different. They are. I remember seeing the war tapes there years ago, and that mm -hmm. was a great event, a, a harrowing movie. But uh, I uh, pre-baby lived in a condo right next there and used to review movies over at Movies 14, so it was a, you know, yeah. it's a great time in my life. I wore quite a, a path out between those two. A friend of mine has a record of interviews from Agnes, <laughs> and it's very interesting hmm. and bizarre, and it's just a record and it has, like, the kind of crackly, like, mm -hmm. and it's just people talking in interviews and hmm. people on the street it's almost like there's new. It's like news reports, but it's on a. It's on a record. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, that might something. That that's super interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that has to be preserved. You know. Yeah, we listen. We would listen to it. We listen to it and like kind of giggle and be like, "This is so bizarre." Right. Uh, but it's interesting. I hope we're not the last uh, generation to listen to it. That's, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. I, I know there's waning interest in certain stuff, which uh, you know I know is just the way things go. But sometimes I'm like, "Oh God, I hope they. I hope my daughter has an interest in this." You know. I, I feel like, you know, certain things have, uh, you know, uh, a resurgence in certain ways. Like, you know, with, with podcasts now, you know, people didn't used to listen to old-timey radio anymore mm -hmm. and, and talk shows on the radio and stuff like that. And now you've seen kind of a resurgence with podcasts and things because it's, it's a new format, but it's more or less the same basic idea. And now you see a lot of those, those uh, you know, the old-timey shows they used to do, mm -hmm. uh, radio plays and things like that now are in podcast form mm -hmm. and ongoing you know you see uh, people making That's new ones all point. the time so you know hopefully if it's not in that format it would be preserved in some other way i hope so that's a great that's a great point i, I don't listen to enough podcasts but i know that you know 
I always see in Entertainment Weekly there's a review of the best podcast. But I'm like, what am I? Mi- I'm really missing something here because this is great. Yeah, there's there's some interesting ones. I I, I haven't you know consumed too many because usually I'm too busy doing everything else for the the site and everything. But you know, there's like uh, I think it's <clears throat> Welcome to Night Vale or something to that effect, which is very popular, and that's like an ongoing story. And they have actors you know acting it out and sound effects guys doing the sound oh on God. the side, and they do uh, live shows of that too. You know, they'll go to you know places in like Philly and New York and stuff and and put it on live in front of a, an audience. That's and one stuff. thing I think we're lacking um, is sound effects. Yeah, yeah, I could I, I, I could understand that on the show. How many? How, we need some. I uh, think we should have people like laughing at all of our We need jokes. some uh, some like, Wilhelm. Sitcom, yeah. I think we, we need the that? Wilhelm scream at least once want, every episode. Every time, like I, every time, yeah. Can we do that? Or yeah, catchphrases sure. at least. Yes. Go, <gasps> hey now. <laughs> go, I feel like Brittany would be the one with the catchphrases. Yeah. I feel like she would definitely be. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Remember the applause, like in Happy Days, when like the Fonz would come in, so like John yeah, would come yeah, in, everybody would be like, Woo! just the clapping, yeah, or Uncle Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to jump the shark, though. So I, that's, that's 86's idea now. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> so uh, before we wrap up, let uh, I want to talk about we want to plug uh, Man on a Canvas. Yes. And, uh, you know, what is it, what is the play about? Uh, and, uh, you know, what, what do you think is going to be interesting uh, that, that people are going to latch on to? Uh, it takes a, it starts off in the 1920s. And uh, the Algonquin Roundtable in 1928, uh, Alexander Wolcott, Dorothy Parker, uh, Harpo Marx, a number of uh, uh, famous literary wits uh, gathered. And this uh, really, this, uh, they really did gather. Uh, the part that's fictitious is that they, uh, they make a farcical bet uh, about uh, their guest that day, who's a washed-up, uh, bare-fisted boxer. That Peter's down to the modern day. Uh, you flash forward, and uh, Hank Dukenfield just wrote a biography of uh, this bare-fisted fighter and uncovers this bet. And his publisher won't publish his book, and he's had several uh, sports books uh, published uh, which, uh, to great acclaim, but he won't publish his book until he gets his bet settled. Mm. And so he has to go uh, to where the, um, uh, the bare-fisted boxer's heir lives in Scranton to get this uh, uh, retired boxer to raise his fist and uh, fight so he can get this book published. Uh, but he meets some characters that, uh, you know, you meet, you tend to meet in Scranton, as you do. <laughs> and uh, it uh, becomes, uh, it's the only piece I ever wrote that's set in Scranton Semi. Uh, but uh, what's going to uh, compel people is uh, it's, uh, we worked hard uh, to get the jokes and the comedy to work, and the pacing is just uh, that of an old screwball comedy. It's a fast-paced, uh, if you love boxing, uh, you get a lot of the references. Uh, if you love pop culture, you get a lot of the references. Uh, but it's not... Uh, None too dated, I think. I'm always aware that things are dating. You know, <laughs> I watch some shows. I'm like, damn, that's you know, this show is going to be like yesterday's news by tomorrow. You know, because right. uh, things uh, age so poorly these days. But um, uh, the pacing and the comedy. I've done some harrowing dramas because of the material the last couple of years. So it's a comedy. It's a fresh uh, take on some. I don't think people have ever seen a story like this. Well, one of the things that I thought was interesting too. Uh, that, that you, you had sent me some information about uh, about the show, uh, that the plays that you were inspired by, uh, one of those gentlemen ended up in the show. Yes. Which I think is kind of cool. So could you talk about that really Sure. Quick? George S. Kaufman, uh, not only did he write the, the Man Who Came to Dinner and um, You Can't Take It With You, but he wrote the Marx Brothers' biggest hits, uh, Night at the Opera and uh, Day at the Races. And this guy was, uh, uh, by all accounts, uh, sometimes curmudgeonly. Uh, uh, there's this great account that when uh, he, uh, and he also wrote uh, some of the other Marx Brothers hits, the earlier ones, uh, that he stopped a reporter mid-interview 
uh, while they're rehearsing behind him. And he goes, hold on, hold on. I just thought I heard one of my original lines. Because the Marx Brothers were notorious for just ad-libbing everything and throwing out the book. Uh, so the guy was just a wit himself. So, um, yeah, I want him to have a part in it. And David Spitzer brings him to life amazing uh, with amazing results. Uh, so it's funny to see these people uh, recapitulated all these years later. You know, yeah. We've read a lot about. And hopefully people have heard about them. <laughs> if not, they will now. That's that's true. And, and you know, I, I think for people who would be afraid that they might not get the references, it might just inspire them to seek that stuff out. You know, there was a lot of stuff, you know, going back to the sh just, you know, uh, just because I'm, I'm still thinking about it, uh, about Mindhunter, you know, a lot of that stuff, uh, them doing those interviews and talking to those people made me want to go back and learn more about those people. Mm -hmm. You know, guys like Ed Kemper that I kind of read a little bit about, but I didn't really know much about him. And going back and finding that there's actually a lot of internet resources about him, and that uh, you know, of of all things, um, you know, because prisoners would spend a lot of time. He, he was part of a program where prisoners would read books mm -hmm. for uh, people who couldn't see and read books. So he would record books on tape, and some of those are online, so you can actually listen to this man's real voice, this this horrible serial killer reading books <laughs> for 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 elderly people it's so and and uh and Does the blind it? you know it's it's so strange you yeah, know like totally it's such bizarre. a such a weird thing but like that stuff is mm. out there and I, I it made me want to to read more and inspire more so in that sense you know maybe people will seek this stuff out you know and and and, hope so. and hopefully rediscover mm -hmm. uh, those types of things because you want to see more people i i think people know who people like the marx brothers are they might not have seen a lot of those classics. That's very true. I hope it does compel them to, uh, you know, take an interest in that. You know, I think a lot of people would be way uh, surprised at how uh, funny they would find this stuff. You know. Yeah, and that's the. Th I think a lot of it is just so timeless. You mm -hmm. know, it doesn't require. You know, I, I think I think too much of the stuff now, like you said, is dated. You know, where yes. they're making references to pop culture that in three or four years, I don't know who that person is, you exactly. know, that pop star or whatever, you know, yeah. it's not a good joke because it's not going to last very long. Yeah. Whereas this kind of stuff is, is more focused on the characters and the situations that they're in, as opposed to making references to things outside of that. Exactly. Yeah. I just hope it, uh, I hope it brings people out and I know they will be, uh, uh, impressed with the level of talent we have involved. So hopefully it encourages them to seek out some other, uh, you know, Screwball comedies. It sounds really yeah. cool. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Let everybody see it. Even Vinny. Even Vinny. Even Vinny would love it. <laughs> you hear that, Vinny? Even Vinny. <laughs> I have a question. Yes, sir. I have a question for any of our uh, our viewers out there. So you have a seven-month-old. Seven mm -hmm. Yes. As you know, Rich told you I'm expecting, my wife and I. Yes. When, is, when, is, when are you due? Uh, December 31st. Wow. So it's coming right up. But uh, what, the one thing I've heard is the sleep factor. Mm. How true is it? Like how, how little sleep do you get? And before you get into anything, I want to say, I've heard a lot of um, sleep now. You got to sleep now. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with it? I can't bank it. I can't yeah, sit that's it for exactly fucking later. You can't like roll over it. It's not a battery. I can't charge it. It's not like vacation days that you run out at the end of the year yeah. and you can roll them over for your. Uh, you yeah, know, so that's like the biggest like pet peeve I have right now is like the whole sleep now thing. I'm like, that's not going to do me any good. Sleeping now just make you become one of those lazy people that. Yeah, so when I don't get done. when I don't get sleep, I'm gonna be real extra pissed. Essentially, so. you only need three hours of sleep a night to operate. Well, I also got good information or good advice was like you know start like tapering off like like sleep like every like night do ten minutes less or whatever it might be. 
it, it, that's that, probably better. That that's sounds that's better advice, yeah, I think. Mm. But that that is definitely better advice. I, I you know to be honest with you, I don't think anything will prepare you for the, um, you know, the change. And a lot of people put a negative spin on it just because oh, kids, you know this and that. <laughs> um, you know, ha- I had the I had my first uh, later, and it gave me a great perspective. I did a lot of reading. Uh, yeah, uh, I would love some sleep, though, especially the first. Uh, the baby's up uh, every hour. It's hard to get the baby to sleep. Um, just home from the hospital, uh, but it does get progressively better. And this is a sad fact, but it is a fact. You learn to live without the sleep. Um, and I do recommend starting with the sleep book early on in the process. Uh, a sleep book? There's a sleep study book, and uh, it just teaches you how to properly uh, put the baby to sleep at a certain time. You know. Because uh, some people don't necessarily put the baby to bed, and this has to happen, I think, uh, uh, three to five months or something like that. Uh, for the first three months, you're on your own. <laughs> the baby's gonna do what the baby wants to do. She may sleep in a bassinet. She may sleep uh, in your arms all night. But um, basically, yeah, you're gonna have uh, some sleepless nights, and then when you finally do get a night where she sleeps five uh, hours, you're gonna be like, "This is the greatest sleep I ever had." So it's all positive. Uh, you bring in a wonderful person to the world, and. Uh, just do the sleep study book from three to five months, and uh, we'll share that off air. And it's just really, uh, it's, it's proven to work. Every, I don't think anybody's had a failure rate with it, uh, and we had a great success with it. Uh, we were doing some practices, maybe putting the baby to bed a little too late, a little later than that, and then uh, they're overtired. I think, what is overtired? I'm overtired all the time. I'm doing amazing <laughs> things, doing Nipissine, doing... Yeah. But, you know, apparently, you know, there's an influx of uh, some chemicals, and the baby wakes up at a certain time. I'm like, why is the baby up at 3 a.m.? You know, we put her to bed at 9, you know, she's retired. But, um, no, there's a, a great philosophy to it uh, about when to put the baby to bed. And, uh, yeah, um, the baby will start to get in a routine, and it's amazing until she starts to teeth. And then uh, it changes. And there's a whole other book for that. And there's a whole other book for that. <laughs> um, but uh, it's all wonderful stuff. You know, every day I come home, it's just all the cliches apply. There's Beautiful. no preparing. Wonderful no. stuff. No, I mean, I'll never be ready. So I'm just, I'm just going to. You're ready. I'm, I'm gonna you're, you're as ready as you're ever going to be. Figure it out. Pe- people say they're, they're never ready, but uh, when you hold the baby and you see, you know, uh, depending on you, you know what to do. Sick. It's great. Yeah. It's great. You you look forward to when you can put your arm around them and share uh, uh, the Marx Brothers or uh, a you know, beer, perhaps Manhunter. <laughs> or no, maybe not. <laughs> but, uh, you might want to wait. A, wait a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Aviator. Uh, but uh, yeah, so cool. That's where my sleep percentage is. See, now you didn't think you'd turn it, you tune into this podcast and get some parental advice, but uh, you never well, know. No one, no one gave any. I thought so that's why I people tuned in. <laughs> no one gave me any advice, so thanks for that. Vinny has like 15 kids. I'm surprised he's not on. Right? Like, Come on. 15. <laughs> he's too, he's too, I think maybe I embellished a bit, but uh, no. Mm-hmm. It's around there. <laughs> that he knows about. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Sorry, I'm just wow. He'll say, he'll say that. <laughs> he's a wonderful father. He's a riot. He really is. He is. Great guy to work with. I should make it a point to. I gotta get over. I gotta get. Stop. I haven't had to stop in there. Yeah, like I stopped in there one night. It was like it was actually not night. It was afternoon, like three four o'clock. Um, he already has like ten people at the bar, and he's bartending and running around, and you know. <laughs> doing his thing with each person and knows what they're drinking it's, it's funny he's he's a riot yeah he's always very... i'm still waiting for him to call me so uh you know whatever that was like a month ago at this point so he's got five <clears throat> don't give seven-year-olds hawaiian punch after 8 p.m 
<laughs> That's is, good advice. Is that, is that like a wet the bed for sure scenario? It's like a sugar. Is that, uh, sugar? An opera all night for sure, yeah. <laughs> Hawaiian punch period is just, a, you know. I wonder how much fun it is to have Vinny be your dad. <laughs> That's a whole other He boy. knows what they're all drinking. That's all I know. Like, That's uh, so you with Kool-Aid, you with the wine punch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he knows what they're yeah. He's Chocolate milk over here, gotcha. <laughs> well only, well only. <laughs> he should come back on. What? He's got like I, the, the Capri Sun. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a juice box. It's got to come fresh. I've been trying to get him to come on. Sort of and like sliding hugs like, down oh, the I gotta, counter. I gotta get a haircut and look, look nice, do myself <laughs> up. Vinny, so. you don't oh, have any gosh. hair. Put your fucking hat <laughs> on. Bring your mullet over. Like let's let's go. Like come on. That was a good run. That was a good bit. That, that was a good bit. bit. You sold it well. That was. <laughs> you. You. <laughs> you. In the future. De Niro face. <laughs> yes. No one does that better than Dave Franco. <laughs> In Neighbors? Yeah. Oh, that was the best. Okay, okay. Da- you know where I got that from? Um, what's his name? That's in all the uh, Judd Apatow movies. Why can't I think of his Paul name? Paul Rudd? Paul Rudd. Why can't I think of his name? He does the, I got the De Niro face from him. <laughs> That's pretty good. Pretty convincing. It's really unattractive. <laughs> well, with your inside Fun out, out with your inside out leggings and your, and your yeah, like face, I'm really on top of my going, going the bar tonight. Total babe status tonight. <laughs> really killing it. We we know her. Just bad radio. Whatever. <laughs> that beer's kicking in. Go, go, Which one? Go get <laughs> all of them. Let's go get one more. Go give your your uh, kid a, a Hawaiian punch. Shut up. Or a hug. Slide a hug down the. <laughs> Down the island. That's a breakfast snook in the morning. Sunny D coming at you. <laughs> I'll put on your tab. I actually just slapped my knee. And that was. Oh, the knee slapper. It's literal. I did that. That was a humdinger of a I've joke. I've always on Facebook. You're a big, like, uh, uh, an advocate for, like, combining, like, multiple words together. Yeah, yes. like, fragment like, run-ons. I told you. They're called Tulgis. I told you. I told you. It's one word. Yeah. What else was there? I do that a lot. Like in my phone, like just, my friend Justin is just Justin Mazur. And there's no space. No, no, but it's, it's like the the valley saying. Tulgis. Oh, you, like you betcha. Of, yeah, whatever. That's like part of my Sarah Palin impression. I won't <laughs> get into that one. Unless you really want me to. Maybe next week. <laughs> Little dated. Little dated. <laughs> Wait till, wait, wait till the next election. Yeah. Then, Again, then. it's also just an impression of Tina Fey doing the impersonation <laughs> of yeah. Sarah Palin. <laughs> it's kind of like everybody goes, you know, oh, yeah, George Bush. Not going to do it. No, yeah, and it's just Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey. Right. Right. <laughs> Would call, it be prudent? Must call bullshit on this joke. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I guess that we about came back does. to SNL again. We started with SNL. We <laughs> came in it. Right? Well, that's a great uh, reference. Full yeah, that's a good way to. <laughs> that about does it. So go see Man on a Canvas uh, yes. at the Old Brick Theater this this weekend. Uh, yeah, it opens to uh, Friday. Uh, it runs the tenth, eleventh, uh, and seventeenth uh, and eighteenth at eight p.m. And then uh, it runs the twelfth and nineteenth uh, at two p.m. We have matinees. Oh, awesome! Uh, so plenty of opportunities to see it, and uh, we'd love to have uh, anybody come out. I'll be there just about every show. Awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in, and uh, hope you learned something today. Hope you had a good laugh, and uh, we'll see you next week with uh, Dustin Douglas and the Electric Gentleman. Uh, we'll have a, another little live performance, and 
you know, we'll have a, a he, he's always a, a, a good, good interview. So, uh, yeah, be fun. full band and drink some more beer. Oh, there goes all the beer. Abandoned beer. <laughs> all the <Yes>. beer. <laughs> we'll get the pony right cake. <laughs> Dude, beer boys, make a five crowlers next week. <laughs> make a ten. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye.